Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. We want to welcome those of you in our video venues and those of you watching online. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jed, serve on our teaching team here. Glad to be with you. We're continuing this series called Passion. Here's the idea. We're leading up to Easter. And for thousands of years, as long as there have been followers of Christ, they've taken time to prepare and to reflect and to pray to get ready for Easter. You may have not have grown up with that or heard about that. It's called Lent. I remember in college, I discovered for the first time I was at school and it was getting close to Easter and there was a person in class and they had a smudge on their forehead and I was like, you got a smudge on, their forehead, on your forehead. And they're like, yeah, it's on purpose. It's Ash Wednesday. It's for Easter. I was like, oh, I'm on the team too. I just didn't know that's part of what we did. So there's different ways to do it and there's different ways to get ready, but on a big moment, you take time to look up to it. And we've been talking about this idea that Jesus, as he prepared, came into this final week, this Passion Week, and that's the name of our series. Passion Week is inaugurated with Palm Sunday. That's what we celebrate today. And we're gonna go in just a moment to the passage. No creative curveballs. We're going right to the passage, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse eight. We'll get there in just a minute. But before we get there, I wanna talk to you for a moment about this idea of passion. Jesus models for us what it means to live a life of passion. But passion is one of those things we all want, or we, we at least think we want it, and sometimes I think our age determines the way we relate to passion. If you're a little bit older, and I'm in that group, getting a little bit older, you know, passion was one of those things that you, you hoped for, but in some ways maybe it was a luxury. You thought it would be nice. There's a few fortunate people who get to spend their life doing what they care about most every single day, but you didn't know if that was going to happen for you. Now, for our young kids, we've taught them from an early age they could do or be whatever they wanted to be if they worked hard enough and if they wanted it bad enough. And I think there was a good intention behind that idea, but it creates some unintended consequences. One of those unintended consequences is young people, if you've been around them much, there's this angst, there's this pressure. I have two kids, one finishing up college, one on the way in, and they live with this daily sense of, My life has to matter, I have to be significant, I have to do something now, I have to achieve, I have to, where am I in relationship to where I was hoping to be? And I think for a lot of us, we didn't live with that same kind of pressure, and that pressure creates challenges. We don't know how it works. We want our lives to be significant, we wanna live a life of passion, but we don't know how to do it. I saw this week, 16% of people between the age of 16 and 24 said they're following their passions. That's a small group. You think, well, that's young people. Well, how about this? In the global workforce, maybe you resonate with this online, in the global workforce, 13% of people say they go to work every day and do something that they're passionate about. That's a small number. And we feel this sense of I want my life to count, my life's gotta matter, I only get one shot at this. And so we go, what what in the world, what do I do on a daily basis that actually matters, that's going to be significant. And and so we try to figure out how does that work. So we try to find out stuff that's important, we try to be aware, but awareness isn't the same as passion. Because here's the tricky thing about passion, here's the tension. Passion is a combination. Passion produces significance, but always at great personal sacrifice. Without the sacrifice, there's not the significance. 
But I don't know about you, I don't wake up every morning going, you know what I'd love to do today? I'd love to sacrifice. I'd love to do things I don't wanna do that isn't for me. I wanna, you know, we don't wake up that way thinking that, but we have this desire, and yet Jesus, the perfect model of what it meant to live a life of sacrifice and a life of passion, he makes a way for you and I. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in my own personal life, uh, because last Sunday, I walked my daughter down the aisle. And so that was a moment of significance, but also a moment of great personal sacrifice, yes. Thank you for clapping. I wasn't searching for that, but I will take it. There I am there in the middle, the man in black like Johnny, uh, Johnny Cash right there. Now here's the thing. I've been to a lot of weddings. And I've had all the different seats, or a lot of the different seats, not all of them. I've been the groom, I've been the best man, I've been in the wedding party, I've been in, in the congregation, and I've been the pastor at many, 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 many weddings. But let me just, with certainty, declare for you, the hardest, toughest, most expensive seat at the wedding <laughs> is the father of the bride, and that's what I got to do. And, and let me just tell you, that day is all about personal sacrifice, because you're paying for everything, and you don't get to pick what you wear, where you eat, where you go, and they take, it's like a, a, a lifetime of emotion squeezed into this one moment, and while, and you may not know this about me, I tend to be an emotional person. Now, while you're trying to manage that emotion, you don't get to you abdicate your other responsibilities. You've got to still be dad for everybody else. We're going to the wedding, trying to make it incredible for my daughter, for the whole family, a celebration. I have two sons, my 10-year-old's like, Dad, how long is this gonna take? I gotta get to the dance floor. And he wasn't joking either. <laughs> he put on a spectacle. And then my 15-year-old, he's like, you know, he doesn't wear a suit every day, so he sees himself, he's in the mirror taking selfies, like looking, at, he's like, yeah, I'm looking good. I'm like, it's not your special day. Back up. So you're thinking about like, man, I, I gotta do all this, I gotta walk around the aisle, I gotta have this moment, I'm paying for all this. We, we, we've been leading to this moment, and then all of a sudden I get to hand her off to someone else. So if I was trying to find the significance in that moment, in that moment alone, if I only measured the sacrifice and the significance of that moment from that experience, I would have totally missed it, because here's the reality. That moment was, I made the choice. I said, you know what, I'm not gonna mess with my phone. I'm putting my phone somewhere. I'm not touching it all night. And I gotta tell you, it was one of the greatest decisions I ever made. Because though it was painful and though it was difficult and though it cost me a lot in all kinds of different ways, it's the kind of moment I'll remember on my deathbed. It's a moment I'll never forget. It's a moment I would never trade. Here's the thing, the things that we really care about in life, no one tells us or prepares us how to be ready for those moments. It's the choices and the sacrifices that you make leading up to the moment that fills the moment with passion. That was true of Jesus, and it's true for your life, and it's true for my life. You see the emotion there. Those are not tears of sadness, those are tears of joy. Because when you walk with your daughter from the time that she's born to when she's five to when she's eight to when she's 13, you're having conversations, you're setting a picture together, you're making a covenant that she's gonna do it God's way. When the moment comes, there is a sense of power and presence that comes from God and all you are is proud and you'll say, you can have it all. Daughter, you can have it all and Jesus, you can have it all because it's worth it. But there's nothing in culture that tells us to live like that. So we live in this frustration of I want significance, but I didn't pay the price 
to live the life that Jesus had for me. Now, I'm giving you the example of my, my daughter's wedding, but I'm not the, the example to follow. Anything that I did right was because I learned it from Jesus. So let's look now at Matthew chapter 21. In a moment of significance for him, we're gonna start there in verse eight. I'm gonna give you a little context to make sense of what we're reading. Maybe you grew up with the story, maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, I don't even know what Palm Sunday is. That's okay, I'll catch you up to speed real quickly. Here, here's what it meant. Every year, the, people, the, the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That was their biggest moment of the year. The Passover was the celebration of God's supernatural rescuing of them when they were in bondage in Egypt. And so every year they would come and they would gather and do that. Now this year, Jesus tells his disciples, guys, this Passover is not gonna be like any other Passover because I'm going to Jerusalem to die, just as it was uh, foretold by the scriptures. And they don't really understand, but they start going up to Jerusalem when they, with Jesus. And when they get there, he tells them, guys, okay, go into the village ahead, grab a, a donkey, and then grab the donkey's baby. They're like, where do we get it? Just, there's a house, go to the house and just take it. And now the Bible doesn't say, this is just me thinking about what it was really like that day. The disciples were like, what do you mean take it? What if they say, what are you doing? He just tells them, tell them I need it. He's like, you mean steal it? And he's like, Jesus is probably going, well, it's not really stealing. Psalm 24 says, all the earth is mine. And so <laughs> it's not stealing. Just tell them it's always been mine. Now I'm just letting you know it's mine. And so they get the donkey and the baby and they bring it and then they put Jesus on it and he begins to ride into the city and all the people, as you're gonna see in just a moment, start waving palm branches and it was on a Sunday. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. Not that complicated. Here we go, verse eight. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. Those would be palm branches. If you're wondering why would they do that, it was a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of celebration. In fact, in the first Olympics, the ancient Olympics, before they gave medals, they gave a, a basically a, a, a palm branch in a circle and they put it on the, as a crown upon the winner's head. So it's a victory celebration. The crowds that were ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, this is hard for us to understand the significance. Here's what this is saying. The word Hosanna means he saves. But it's more than just a victory celebration. It's more than just congratulations. Hosanna means God is saving through this person. Now the Bible gives us the, the Palm Sunday event in all four gospels. One of the other gospels, some of the religious leaders are watching this moment and they're going, they're saying Hosanna. They're not just congratulating Jesus, they're worshiping him, tell him to stop and Jesus says, if they stop, the rocks will start to worship me. It's a big moment. This is the moment that the people of Israel have been waiting for the one true king, the son of David, the promised one who would lead them out of, out of bondage, out of oppression and into freedom. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The reason they're stirred is because this is a big deal. This is a significant moment in history and they're trying to go, who is this guy and is this really happening? Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Here's what's happening there in the temple. When, when all the people of Israel would come to Jerusalem, you offered your offering, but you couldn't use money that, had, that was Roman or Greek in its currency because it had pictures of other people. It was unclean. So somebody found there like a little market opportunity for upsell. And they were taking people who, didn't, who couldn't give their offerings in a proper way and they were charging them more and they were making it more difficult. They were being taken advantage of. Jesus sees this, he gets angry and he stops them from doing it. But more important than even that, look what he goes on to say. He said, it is written, 
that my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You know, again, that may be familiar language to you, but the temple was the most sacred holy place on earth. It's where the God of the universe touched down on heaven in the temple, and Jesus goes, yeah, that super holy place, that's my house. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were upset, they were angry. So here we have this significant moment. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating this moment. The appropriate question you might be asking, you might be thinking, maybe you grew up with this. I was even there, I've been to Jerusalem, I've been to this place, and so the question is, what does this mean? This story is significant, there's a lot of things that are happening, we don't totally understand what's going on. Help me make sense of this, what does this mean? Well, I think there's four important things I want you to see from this passage here. The first one is this, Jesus declares, I'm the one true king. And you're like, yeah, that's, thanks Captain Obvious, we realize that, he's the one true king. But, but you may not understand how significant that is. I have a feeling it's a bigger deal than you see. Maybe you've had this happen to you, if it's happened to me many times. You'll say, you know what, Jed? I appreciate Jesus. He's a great moral teacher. He's a great rabbi. He's, a, he's even a prophet. He, he's a great leadership consultant. You know, he's a great marriage coach. He has some good things to say to us about parenting. But I don't know about all this thing about him being God. I don't know about him being the Lord of my life. That seems like a bit too much. So I'd rather keep him as a teacher, as a consultant, as a helpful guide, as one choice amongst many that, that, that might help me to become a more spiritual person. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've had friends that have thought that. And I understand why people would appreciate that option. The only problem is on Palm Sunday, Jesus takes that option away. He says, there's really only one of two ways to relate to me. I try to think about, okay, what would that look like for us? How do we make this make even more sense? And so I was thinking, okay, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, big holiday, everybody knew was significant. That's, you know, Passover. What would that be for America? Well, of course, it's the Super Bowl, right? So. That's the big event that everybody celebrates and we all watch together. You may not, like, some of you are going like, of course. Some of you are going, Jed, that's terrible. Why would you say that? Well, the NFL is the most popular TV show on every channel. It's kind of a big deal. People like it. It's a big sport. So say, people who don't even like football watch the Super Bowl. So say you're all going to the Super Bowl. Say we're going together. You and I are going to the Super Bowl together. This is the equivalent of what Jesus did. Now, if we were going to the Super Bowl and I said to you, guess what? And you, and you said what? I'm playing quarterback today, you might laugh. You're like, you're funny, I've seen you throw, that ain't happening, like that's probably where you'd start. Now if I've got a group of people, now we're all going and I told the whole group, hey everybody, I'm playing quarterback. The group would be like, your friend's a weirdo and you'd have to try and figure it out and he's been out in the sun too long and he's, just because you wear a jersey doesn't mean you get to be quarterback. Now if I went to the stadium, you know those people whose job it is to keep you from running on the field? If I went to that guy and said, I'm playing quarterback, and somehow I got past him, and then I got to the coach of the team, and I said, I'm playing quarterback, only one of two things can happen at that moment. Either I play quarterback, or they throw me in the stadium jail. That's it. Only one of two options, because I forced that conclusion. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I know you may want to put me in a nice safe category, but there's only one place you can put me. Either I'm king or throw me in jail, and we know from history they threw him in jail. 
but that didn't stop him from being king. Here's the second thing we see in the passage. He's not like any other king we've ever seen before. He's a humble, gentle servant king. If you didn't catch the part, if, you didn't, if you're not familiar, not only does he go with the donkey, but he goes with the colt of a donkey, in other words, a baby. Here's a king riding a baby donkey. Now, baby donkeys are very small, and they don't move very fast, and they don't listen very well. But of all the things he chooses to ride, the king chooses to ride a baby donkey, which is a move that a king makes only if he's very secure. Because you can see that king, you can touch that king, everybody can be next to that king. Now, insecure king, this is a deep cut, but go there with me. Anybody remember Shrek? Remember the little king, Lord Farquaad? Had a little man's spirit on him, want to try to impress everyone. If you're an insecure king, you try to get a war horse and intimidate everyone and show how powerful you are. Jesus is unlike any king we've ever seen. He's not unclear on who he is, but he makes himself presentable and approachable and he comes near people who think, I will never stand next to the king. Jesus said, you can stand next to this king. If you're blind, if you're lame, if you're a child, if you're poor, if you're broken, if you weren't raised in the right family, Jesus says, I have a place for you next to me. And I don't know about you. That's good news on Palm Sunday. Now, here's the third thing. He loves us better than we love him. Maybe you can relate to this. People have a hard time staying close to Jesus. I can have a hard time staying close to Jesus. I imagine you might. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe there was a moment where you said, I felt so close to God. I felt like his presence was right next to me. I could hear his voice. And then something happened. I saw him for who he was. I believed he was my savior. I believed he was my Lord. But then something happened and the pressure of life and the difficulty and the anxiety. And I did something that I never thought I would do. And I feel so far from him. People have a hard time staying close to Jesus. This was Sunday. They're all crying, Hosanna, he saves. He's the promised one. He's the king within four days by Friday. Many of those same people were saying, crucify him, crucify him. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I am trying to make you realize. I want you to hear this. The message of Palm Sunday, the message of Easter, it's not about how well could we love God. It's about how well God loves you and I. It's a good thing that Jesus loves us with the unconditional, unfailing love that we don't love him with in return, and still he loves us anyways. The Bible says in Romans 5, this is how we know what love is. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, while we were aliens, while we were strangers, he said, I love you. I want to be with you. If you've ever felt distant or like God is disappointed or angry with you or he's upset that he would never take you back, that's not the picture of the Bible. The picture of the Bible is a God who loves beyond all of our brokenness. Now, here's the last one. I got to tell you, I hadn't seen this one really like I saw it this year. I've read this Bible story since I was a kid, but this is overwhelming. Think about this. So the first this is a big picture in the Bible of a king who comes to a city. The whole city comes out to meet them, and together they enter the city in celebration. It's a picture all throughout Scripture. It's a prophetic picture even in Scripture. This time, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's coming to the city as the king to make it possible for you and I to be right with God. He's making it possible that, a, that imperfect, broken people can have a relationship with the perfect God. But the Bible talks about another time that he'll return. 
another time that he'll come to the city as the king. I don't know if you know this. 2021, 2020, they've reminded us things are broken in our world. The world's not right. The world is not how it was meant to be. And that's the wonderful thing about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a prophetic picture of the day and the hour when the king will return. The Bible calls it the eschaton, when he'll come back, this time, not just to make you and I right with God, but to make the whole world right with God. Every system that's broken, every piece of injustice, every bit of suffering, every bit of sin and darkness and evil, he drives it back. And on that day, it won't just be a few palm branches waving. The Bible says that the trees will clap their hands, the mountains will bow down, the oceans will roar as the one true king returns to make the world right in every possible way. If you've ever felt ill-equipped and unable, broken for the state of the world and feeling like it's too big for me to fix, it is too big for you to fix, but it's not too big for him. And he will come and make it right. So, before I pray for you, how do we make sense of all this? Here's what I want us to think about. When, when something big's happened, a lot of times we don't understand. Here's the great thing about God. The, di- the disciples didn't understand. His followers didn't understand. Nobody really understood what was happening in that moment, and yet they still benefited. God still worked in their lives. They still received the promise that God had for them, even though they didn't understand. I hope that's good news for you. It's good news for me. So how do you receive from God when you don't totally understand everything that's happening? Well, here's the first thing that we have to do. We have to receive and acknowledge that he's Lord. He forces us, he's not reasonable. He forces us to make a decision and that's hard. It's hard for us to acknowledge that he's Lord. We live in a world that tells us that we're Lord. We're the king of our own castle, that the world revolves around us. That whatever we feel, we live our truth. We live, we pursue our dreams. Whatever the, wherever our hearts tell us is what we should pursue with our lives. It sounds really appealing, it sounds really good. The problem is it leads to broken lives. We can't always see it. There are a lot of things in life we can't see. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Let's look at this together. The Mueller liar illusion. Now here's why it's an illusion. You may have seen this before, you know what I'm about to say. One of the guys on our team was arguing with me. I was like, you're proving the point of why I'm showing people this. The two lines in the middle are the exact same length. They're the exact same length. It doesn't look like it. The one underneath looks far inferior. They're the same line. I only show that to show you that you and I are capable of being tricked easily. We can easily miss. We think we know what's going on and we miss it. There's a lot of study being done on this right now and they call it by a bunch of different terms. They call it cognitive bias. They call it confirmatory thought. They call it motivated reasoning. It all means the same thing. You do it and I do it. Here's what we do. We think we know something but we're wrong, but we're convinced in what we know to the point where we're not even open to be made right. We'd rather be wrong and feel good about what we feel about than to actually be open to what's right. We do what we feel like doing. Now that's an unfortunate thing. Now you're like, I still don't believe you, Jed. Okay, well let's try this, one more, one last try. What percentage of people, if you were to guess, lie to their doctors? Think about this. Why would you lie to the person who's trying to keep you alive? He's trying to keep you alive, she's trying to keep you alive, and you would rather have him think highly of you than give him the information that could actually keep you alive. 
81% of people, and how do we know the other 19 weren't lying? 81% of people lie to their doctor. I've done this, right? How's your diet been, Jed? Well, you know, really good. Lots of kale, flavonoids, antioxidants, I think those are good. What else are good? Um, all the stuff that's good, that's what I've been eating. No donuts, no soda, none of that stuff. That's what other people do, not me, I'm good. Like, what about your sleep? How's your sleep? Um, <clears throat> put me down for eight, put me down for eight hours. Yep, that's what I've been getting. That's what you're supposed to get doctor recommended, right? Well, our tests say that you're not doing this. Well, who's gonna trust those tests? Maybe those tests aren't right. That's what we do. Now, it's one thing to do that with a doctor who's trying to save your physical body, but what about a king who's trying to save your soul, who's trying to lead you into the life you've, you, you're like, okay, well, what does that mean practically? Here's what it means. The only way to receive that relationship with Jesus is you have to stop being the Lord of your life in order for him to be the Lord of your life. You're like, does that mean I have to be perfect? I have to obey all the time? No, he loves you even when you make a mistake. But to experience purpose, to experience passion, to experience significance, to have the power to be able to sacrifice for someone else. The only way that works is not in your power, but in his, and the only way that you get that power is that you acknowledge he's the Lord of your life. Here's how that looks practically. Somebody hurts you, I don't wanna forgive them. Your Lord says you're gonna forgive them, and you're gonna love them, and you're gonna serve them. You're gonna say, here's what I wanna do with my resources. Your Lord says, those resources are mine. I want you to be generous. I want you to trust me that I can meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. You don't feel like it, you don't understand it, but you say yes, and in saying yes, you open yourself up to this life that's possible no other way. You make him the Lord of your life. Here's the second thing. The second thing is we're convinced he includes all of us. Love that about this passage. What a cool little phrase the Bible uses. The wonderful things that happened in the temple for the blind, the lame, and the children. Wonderful things were happening in the lives of people who did not expect it could happen in their lives. And yet some people were indignant. Some people who thought they were doing the right thing, who thought they were being spiritual and religious, were indignant when God began to move in the lives of people they didn't expect. I, would ha I, I, I know this is difficult. You and I are capable of the same attitude. We could think, oh, God would never touch that person. God would never reach that person. And really, many of us, unfortunately, believe that person is us. We think we've blown it. We think we've messed up. We think God would never move in our lives. That's the place you have to start. You have to start with this place of, God's not looking for the best version of me. God didn't die for a perfect me. God died for me when I was broken and lost and my character was not right and my righteousness was unrighteous. He loved me at that moment. It starts at that place. But to really experience passion, to really come to that place of significance that comes through personal sacrifice, you have to believe that God wants to work in the life of someone else through you. And here's that, how that works. It's really not in your power or your strength. It's just your heart being turned towards that person. Here's a word I, I learned this week that I think could help us be more relationally healthy. I wanna teach you this word, it's attunement. Maybe you know what this word means. I didn't know what it meant. Attunement means identifying, understanding, and engaging someone else's emotions. I would venture to guess that all of us in this room would say, we live at a time of unprecedented emotional pain in our culture. All different kinds of reasons, all different kinds of sources. Many of us ourselves have had deep emotions, and what we really want is to feel like someone sees us, 
Someone knows what we're going through. Someone cares what we're experiencing. That's all attunement is. Attunement doesn't mean that you validate or that you justify or that you endorse someone's feelings. It just means that you see them and you care about them and you wanna help them and serve them by introducing them to a God who loves them. You have a great opportunity to do this. There's people all around your life right now, people at your workplace, people in your neighborhood, maybe people in your own home. What they're waiting for is someone to see them, to, to, to understand what they're going through, to, to know their pain at some level, to meet them in that pain, and not to necessarily try to fix it all at once, but to offer them hope, a great opportunity to offer hope. We have coming up this week, it's Easter. I would encourage you, people in your workplace, people in your home, people in your neighborhood, they're looking for hope, they're looking for someone to see. The amazing thing about Easter, it happens every year, People are gonna come who've never been to church who thought, I could never go to church. If I came to church, no one would accept me. They're gonna come, they're gonna meet Jesus, they're gonna give their lives to Christ, they're gonna end up publicly declaring their faith in Christ. It happens every year, it's gonna happen this year. The question I wanna ask is, is it gonna happen in the life of someone close to you? And I don't say that to manipulate you, to make you feel bad, to try and condemn you into inviting someone to Easter. That's not what this is about. This is about you understanding that that same God who sees and loves you, sees and loves the people in your life who are around you, and all you're trying to do is to remind them of this beautiful, life-changing truth and give them the opportunity to respond. And you'd be amazed that when you do that, a simple invitation, a simple conversation, a simple yard sign or a simple invite can change someone's life for the rest of their life. Now that may make you feel uncomfortable, but I promise you it'll also make you feel a part of something incredibly significant. You want this. Many times we just don't know how to get it. Here's the third and final thing. We trust that God goes before us. Here's what I know about life's most challenging moments. The most challenging moments in life are filled with deep emotion and very little control. We feel it so deep, but we feel ill-equipped and incapable of doing anything about it. That's what happened throughout COVID. That's what's happening in many people's businesses. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that area of your life is, but I would be willing to guess that somewhere in your life you feel deep emotion about something, but you feel like you have very little control to make a significant difference in that area. And so I've come to give you hope. Been in that place many times. You know, 2020 was my wife and I's 25th anniversary, we had this great plan, we were gonna go to Europe. That plan got you know, done away with, ain't happening. So we tried to pivot and try to find something good to do. So we decided, okay, we have one little window in October to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Let's go to Mexico, we'll just relax for a few days. It was a great plan. We had a great first day, it was incredible. Beautiful celebratory day, we felt very relaxed, wonderful. The only problem is what happened on the next day. On the next day, a category four hurricane showed up. Now. I didn't know what a category four hurricane was, so I did what you did, I Googled it, and when I found out that Katrina was a category three, I started to get a little nervous. <laughs> and by starting to get a little nervous, what really happened was I had a mild panic attack, and I started to think, okay, like, this could really be the end of things. And so what do you do when you're in that moment? You're like, well, what can I do to fix it? Can I get a flight? No. Can I call somebody who can get flights? So I called Pastor Jeff who can do just about anything and he's like, okay, we're gonna get a, her a helicopter and airlift you out of there. I was like, that sounds impressive, like I'm a president, a president or something. And, and, and he tried, but it didn't quite happen. <laughs> it was almost gonna happen. 
And so then we ended up at the resort says, we're going to take you to a shelter. I was like, what's the shelter? They're like, it's a cement box with hurricane shutters that could endure 200 mile an hour winds because this thing is going to hit us. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. There's really nothing left to do but what I'd been doing all along, which was pray. So I just kept praying and praying, and after a while, you're like, I don't know what else to pray. So you just keep praying, praying by the Spirit, praying by however you can. And so here I am, category four hurricane, with my wife, celebrating 25 years, upstairs in a cement box on a college campus with hurricane shutters, and there happened to be five newlywed couples all around us in this hallway. And I was like, don't worry, guys, if we live, it gets lots better. And... And then in that moment after praying, I, I did, and I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm proud of myself for this. This is a faith moment for me. I fell asleep. <laughs> and you're like, how do you know that's a faith moment? Because that's what Jesus did when the storm hit him. He fell asleep, and when the disciples woke up, he said, why are you so afraid? I was like, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> now, I will say this. For a few hours there, that little building was pelted with trees. It sounded like we were at a train crossing. But you know what, I had a confidence, I had a peace. I didn't know for sure I was gonna live, but I did know even if, you know, worst case scenario, if my wife and I, if we did die, there was a Jesus who'd gone before us to make a way that even in death, there would be hope and the promise of new life. Here's why I remind you of that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I'd be willing to bet there's pain that you can't control. And here's the hope I offer you. You can't control it, but there is a king who invites you into a relationship with him who says, if you'll trust me, I'll go before you to the place you can't control, to the place where you're most afraid, and I'll make the rough place smooth if you'll put your trust in me. Maybe there's a conversation with your spouse you're afraid to have. Maybe there's a conversation with your adult child. You say, Jed, if I had that conversation, it's too painful. I don't have the emotional energy. I don't know what to do or what to say. Have that conversation with the confidence there's a Jesus who, go before, who goes before you. You may be amazed that it turns out totally different. And even if it goes wrong, the promise of hope that he's still working goes with you. What does that look like in your life? Where is he calling you where you're afraid? Can you trust that he goes before you? This is the promise of Palm Sunday. This is the hope of Easter. Not an idea, not a religious holiday, but a moment that happened that changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful. God, you obeyed. Jesus, you obeyed, you kept taking steps, you kept walking that path at great personal expense because you understood the significance, you understood the future of the whole world was on your shoulders. Maybe you're here today and you feel unworthy of what Jesus did for you, that's okay, that's a great place to be. All you gotta do right there in your own words, you, you may have said, Jed, I thought the whole point was to be really spiritual and to be really righteous and if we're righteous enough, Jesus will receive you. That's not the message. The message is, when you couldn't do it, when you couldn't do what was right, when you couldn't follow through, when you couldn't love God the way he loved you, he invites you and loves you to receive him as your king. Right there in your own words, just say, Jesus, I receive you, I wanna know you. Maybe you're watching online, tell somebody in the chat window, if you're here at our Keller campus, I'm gonna encourage you to come tell someone after the service. 
Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you relate to Jesus that way. Maybe it's time to trust that he's moving before you. Maybe it's time to look around you at the places where he's moving where you didn't even see it and to participate with what he wants to do. Lord, I'm praying for every person, Lord, relatives, friends, coworkers, neighbors, Lord, that we would be people aware of the emotions and the needs around us, that we would be your representation. Lord, I'm praying that you would move ahead of us as you always do. Lord, I'm thanking you for what you're gonna do in the lives of people. We thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives as we celebrate this great time of Easter together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.